Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Wow! Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Welcome everyone to Beyond Surviving, the safe space for survivors of childhood sexual abuse to receive support, resources, and share their stories. Beyond Surviving is about freedom, healing, connection, and even laughter and fun. Most importantly, it's about letting go of the pain of abuse and finally moving on. I'm Rachel Grant. For those of you who don't yet know me, I've been a sexual abuse recovery coach since 2007, and I'm the author of Beyond Surviving, the final stage of recovery from sexual abuse. You can learn more about me and the Beyond Surviving program at rachelgrantcoaching.com. So here we are in beautiful May, and yet again, I have with me a wonderful, amazing, beyond surviving graduate. Today, Chris is joining me, and he is going to be sharing with us about his journey from being closed off and isolated to breaking down those walls so he could really welcome in love and connection. So Chris, thank you so much for being here with me. It's so wonderful to see you again and to connect with you. And uh, I just can't wait to, you know, really get into your story and your journey um, today. So how you doing, man? I'm doing well. It's great to see you, Rachel, and excited to be here. Yeah, you know, I was looking back at, you know, our work together, and you graduated in 2017. So it's been a little minute since you (laughs) left the program, and life has been changing for you. Um, Tell me about some of the, the new things that are happening in your life today. Yeah, so life has changed a lot uh, since that time. I now have a beautiful fiance, um, which uh, we were actually together as boyfriend and girlfriend. We were going through Beyond Surviving. Um, I have a nine-month-old puppy 
that's running around everywhere and just like acting crazy. Um, down it moved to San Jose recently. Um, so, you know, just a change of scenery and, um, you know, headed into a new career path as well that, you know, I think, uh, has really been something that we worked on. Um, and so we'll probably talk a little bit about that. Yeah. All good things. All good things. And it's so sweet and special for me, exactly, to, you know, have this like fast forward to like the where are they now moment with you, because exactly that you were working in a job that was not doing it for you when we were working together and you were, you know, navigating your relationship and trying to figure some things out there, doing really well, but just continuing to want to like up level and show up better and better for yourself and for your partner. Now you're engaged. Yeah. I see those wedding photos. Okay, I want to see them. Um, yeah, and I'll puppy send photos too. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. So let's let's step back a little bit today. I know that you know one of the main things that we wanted to explore together was your journey in kind of coming out of this place of being very walled off and disconnected and. I wonder if you could take us back a little bit in your life and, and share with us a little bit about how did those walls even go up? Like what were some of your lived experiences that caused you to start closing off, shutting down, isolating from other people? Yeah, I think there's two main, you know, times in my life that I remember that, you know, my walls really came up, whether consciously or subconsciously. Um, the first was, you know, when I was, it started when I was little, um, you know, I was sexually abused by my uncle and, um, continued to, you know, verbally, emotionally abused by, you know, my dad. And, and so, you know, that really made me feel like a weak person, you know, that made me feel like I was under attack constantly and I was, um, and so, you know, I, my fight or flight mechanisms really kicked in. And so part of that was fight, right? At times, um, putting up a wall and and not letting people really connect with me or see through, um, you know, what was underneath or flight, right? Running away, um, you know, not engaging with folks. And so um, that was the first kind of area, you know, that just kind of kicked off things um, in my approach to life. And then you know, my second was really uh, in college when, you know, I was very involved on campus. I was very social and I had this desire to build relationships and be very social. Um, but at the same time, you know, I was very anxious. You know, my so- social anxiety kicked in and, you know, I wanted to be seen as uh, I didn't want to be messed with. I didn't want to look weak, right? I didn't want to, you know, have fun, be silly, all those different things, especially in, you know, when you're in different organizations on campus and you're being looked at and, uh, you know, there's a bunch of pressure as well. And so social pressure. And so those two aspects uh, or those two pieces of my life really were uh, where I felt very defensive against, you know, ideas, things, things I wanted to do or, you know, people that I was interacting with. Mm -hmm. Thank you for sharing that with us. And, you know, we think about this experience of trauma at an early young age, and then being in a home where you feel terrorized, and, 
you know, we'll talk a little bit about how disconnecting actually helps you. Um, Mm -hmm. And then interestingly, later in your life, that learned behavior and pattern ultimately stopped serving you. I want to get into that in a moment. But one thing I'm curious about that you should that you that you name there is this awareness a little bit about how like I wanted to connect, I wanted, but I also wanted to be seen at a certain way. And so in some ways I hear like you were crafting an image, crafting the idea of how people saw you or took you. Do you remember that as being um, very intentional? Uh, do you feel like it was happening kind of subconsciously? What do you think about that, Chris? Yeah, I think it really changed as I got older. Like mm-hmm. as a child, I remember you know, I was a very creative child. I was, you know, I was into music, you know, dance, art, things like that. And I remember, you know, not wanting to show that side to my family, to my dad, because I didn't know, you know, how he would react. I didn't know, you know, what he would say. And so, um, so I started to shut off those parts, but kind of not so much intentionally, but it wasn't until I was like an adult in college, I was definitely more conscious about crafting that image, right? Mm-hmm. So looking cool, not appearing to be, you know, uh, like I said, silly or maybe um, more feminine, I would say mm-hmm. for, for liking creative type of, type of things. And so, um, yeah, it, it was kind of a, a phased approach where toward, you know, when I was older, I was doing that. Yeah. And do you think, did you have yourself, like, I'm, I'm resonating with that, first of all, like, in my own journey, the, like, I think I held it together through the lens of, like, you know, super student and perfection and these sorts of things. Um, and also being a little bit of, like, it's an interesting thing, like, I think I use my rebellion also as a way to be disconnected. Um, to make people kind of be standoffish, like, oh, I don't want to get too close to that girl, she's trouble kind of thing, Um, which was a weird juxtaposition to being like an A-plus student. So like, I had this like really odd experience in high school um, of that. Um, And, but I remember feeling the pain of it, like remembering, like really seeing people around me who seemed to have this capacity to really show up and be and connect uh was it painful for you what do you recall about how it actually felt or had did you get yourself fooled like like this is good this is fine everything's all right here yeah what do you think about that yeah I think that that also went through the phases I you know I in high school that that's what it was I was like I just started comparing myself to others um and that negative self-talk just kind of became just kind of grew and grew and grew uh, in my head. And that was just kind of the story that I was telling myself, like, oh, they can do it, but you can't. Um, uh, or, you know, they have that capacity, I don't. And then, you know, towards college, I just kind of, and afterwards, I just like fell into like, this is who you are. Like, this is, you know, this is how you're going to live your life. And, you know, there's no other way around it. You can't do these things. So just kind of, give up. And I sort of went through a period where I did kind of just, I just gave up and I was just like, okay, this is, uh, you know, sitting at home, not going out, not partaking in those things that I wanted to do creatively or, um, you know, whatever it was like, I, I shut that part down completely. So, 
you know, it, it wasn't even a thing, I think, you know, yeah. afterwards. So if you didn't need it, wasn't important, yeah. didn't matter. Yeah. 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 When you think about the different ways that we construct walls in our lives, like what are they actually made of? We use this metaphor, I think, oftentimes when th talking about trauma, that we become walled off, we become isolated, we become disconnected. And we've talked a little bit already about some of the ways that you actually did that. And I talked a little about, but I, I think I'd like to get into that more. Like, what do you, what do, when you think about it very broadly, generally, and also for yourself, what was the actual material of the walls? Like what was the behavior? Um, are there other things that you noticed that you did that, that supported this place of separation and distancing? Yeah, so I think the first one that comes to mind is like physical. Like I, you know, don't or had a hard time smiling, smiling at people, mm -hmm. being friendly to people, being nice, mm -hmm. um, right? Having that wall up, don't mess with me. I look, you know, I want to look a certain way. Yeah. Um, you know, I don't want to open myself up to anything that could make me weak or vulnerable mm -hmm. or an attack, right? Um, and so, and then, you know, from a social standpoint, definitely like, you know, not, if I'm at home watching TV, eating, I don't have to go out and be seen, be heard, even though secretly that's what I want. Um, you know, that's what I connect with. That's what I love to do. Um, you know, it wasn't something that was, I was just too exposed. I felt too exposed and it was something that I just couldn't get over. And so, you know, physically, socially, um, emotionally as well, like being in relationships where, you know, I had to be right. I had to win. I, I couldn't be the weak one. Um, mm -hmm. Right. So mm -hmm. it, uh, it showed up all over the place. And like I said before, it got to a place where it was just me, like, this is just who I am. Um, and then all of a sudden it wasn't right. So there was this like this, this world that you had crafted and this self that you had crafted that says, okay, this is how I'm going to make it through. I mean, ultimately that's what it's all about, right? Like it's a survival yeah. instinct that is yeah. an echo of how we survived. You like making yourself small, you know, not being seen, not rocking the boat is a really great way to try to attempt to mitigate abusive behavior, though we know at the end of the day, it, it's not your choice, right? It's this other person who's activating all of that, but still we try, right? And then it carries over into our adulthood, becomes a sense of identity until when? Like, was there a moment for you when you just finally said, I'm sick of being behind these walls? Like you could see it, it was no longer working. Yeah, I mean, honestly, it, it was COVID. Um, you know, I've done a lot of work up until COVID, but as soon as it hit, I realized I've been in quarantine. I've been quarantine. You know, I've been in quarantine for years. You know, before COVID quarantine, and once everyone was in quarantine, once everyone was kind of hiding or whatever, you know, mm. uh, that's when I realized oh crap, like in, in the whole life and death, you know, situation with COVID, no one yeah. knew what was going on. So unfortunately, a kind of a life and death situation kind of caused me to say, you know, okay, I've been, you know, I've been in quarantine, I've been quarantining myself. Mm -hmm. And if you died tomorrow, 
you're not going to be able to do anything on your life's intentions list. Right. Mm -hmm. Like I went back to that and I said, like, this is who, this is who I am. This is what I want to be. And, you know, there's no reason why I can't go out and do that. Um, And that, that was the big aha moment for me. Yeah. Nothing like a global pandemic to bring the point to, to a head. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And, and in the space of, Oh gosh, there's a lot of things there I want to pick up on. Um, there's this this place in which you know we we did this exercise together, right, in our work around life intention. So for those of you listening, the idea this is born out of a Mary Nemus work who wrote um, the the energy of money. And the idea is you make a list of all the things you've ever wanted to do or have, uh, and then you translate those into to to be statements. So I, you know, I want to uh, have a house in the country, like to be in nature, to be relaxed, <laughs> you know, to be mm-hmm. peaceful. Do you, uh, can, do you mind sharing some of your life intentions? Yeah, I remember the first one I wrote down right away was I want to be a famous musician. Mm-hmm. Um, and I thought, I always thought like, you know, that's so silly of me, like that, you know, that's never going to happen. Um, but then turning it into, uh, you know, to be statement, you know, it was really to be seen, right. To be heard, to be in front of people. And, you know, I wasn't doing that. That wasn't, you know, that was from work, from my work life to my social life. Like it wasn't in sync. And I knew that was the number one thing that I wanted to do wanted to be um you know and so yeah that was a big well cheers to a life intention being played out live in action right now in this moment we all better give some like virtual cheers (laughs) and hugs (laughs) you can talk about being seen oh i'm on a podcast look at that check that out yeah man i love that yeah Chris, was there a moment for you when you got really clear that part of what was keeping you walled in, was that the trauma that you experienced as a child hadn't been dealt with? Um, I mean, yeah, I think the point, I don't know. I mean, I think that it was always something in the back of my head that was, you know, that was there. But, um, you know, when I came to survive, uh, beyond surviving, uh, what it was for me was really, you know, I was, I was in toxic back to back relationships. Um, and, you know, I, oh, you always kind of think like, oh, it's the other person or, oh, you know, it, it wasn't me, or you don't even say it wasn't me. I, I had no concept of like, hey, this is something I need to deal with um, mm-hmm. until like, you know, I, I was single for a period of time. And then I, you know, my relationships with my family and my relationships with some friends, like started to become, you know, not great as well. And so I entered into the relationship I am na- I, I'm in now. And I said, okay, well, I know I'm meant to be with this person. I know that everything, you know, just clicks but there's this other side, you know, I had to realize the common denominator was me in that case. Mm -hmm. And so that was, you know, that was a big moment. And that's, you know, when I reached out to you. That's brave. 
It's really brave. Oh, it's the hardest thing to do to go, hmm, maybe it's me. Yeah. <laughs> if I keep getting the same results, maybe it's me. Yeah. So you took action, you sought out support. And when we come back from the break, I want to talk a little bit about some of the specific things um, that you did that really helped you in breaking down those walls and creating, you know, love and connection in your life. So hang tight. We'll be right back. For survivors of abuse, shame can be one of the most pervasive feelings we carry well after the abuse has ended. As a result of trauma, we come to believe that we are at fault or to blame for what's happened. Then this transforms into a deeply rooted way of being that impacts our sense of self. We come to believe that we are unlovable and then we find ourselves constantly in self-blame, shame, and in derogatory or negative thinking. In my Shake Off the Shame Masterclass, you will gain access to my proven process that will help you feel more confident and secure so you can put an end to taking care of everyone but you. You can identify the toxic shame-based beliefs that keep you trapped in a cycle of taking the blame for everything and how to overcome them, and learn practical, easy-to-use strategies for how to escape shame and finally love who you are. Go to rachelgrantcoaching.com slash shame dash class to download this MP3 masterclass today. Now back to our show. Welcome back, everyone. So, Chris, this has been a long journey, and there's always room for more growth and learning. But I know when we were, were talking about connecting um, today that you named three things that you felt really played a huge part in you being able to, to drop down those walls. So let's walk through those. Um, there's self-love, compassion, and empathy. So which one do you want to start with? Um, let's go with self-love. Awesome. Yeah, let's talk about that a little bit. What role does self-love really play when it comes to helping us, supporting us in breaking down the walls so that we can be in relationship and connection? Yeah, so with self-love, like it's it's all about, you know, being kind to yourself, right? Like mm -hmm. if you if you can't be kind and live with yourself uh, or be kind to yourself and live with yourself, then it's really hard to do that with other people. And so, you know, in my relationships, that's something that I've learned is, you know, uh, you know, I, I have to be kind to myself or it's not, it's not going to happen. I don't have that capacity to give to others what I don't have. And it's kind of the same thing with my parents. And I've realized that, you know, yeah. um, and so being able to foster that in whatever way you need to, uh, is really mm -hmm. huge because that is only going to make you, uh, you know, realize who you are and love the person that you are so that you don't have to have and walk around with these walls um, that are really not who you are. Yeah, you know, something that I, I certainly sat with and felt so much in my life and that I hear 99.9% .9 of the time from my clients is this idea of like, I don't want anyone close because when they get close, they see the real me and it's not pretty. Mm -hmm. And that 
is not true, but it's because we're sitting and seeing ourselves through the lens of shame and trauma and the abuse. And we don't love that self. We don't love that person. Whereas exactly that, my experience was as I came into that deep understanding and resonance with myself and how awesome and badass and beautiful and amazing and how lucky you are <laughs> to be <laughs> in my circle, then okay. yeah, all of a sudden it was like, I don't have to be afraid of connecting with other people because if they get to know me and they don't like me, well, they're lost. It's all right. Not everybody has to like me, by the way, also, you know, and that's okay. And that's a part of self-love too. Yeah. Have you found that to be a part of your experience as well? Yeah. I mean, I'm someone who had so much negative Um, Mm -hmm. self-talk. It's just insane. But I think, you know, something that I've really realized over, you know, the past couple of years is boxes, right? Like that, how, what you think about me, what you think about, you know, what I just said or what I'm wearing, that's in your box. You know, Mm -hmm. that's not something I need to carry around because that, you know, might contribute to the problems I have with my own self-image. I need to, what I feel about myself and you know how all of that stuff, that's all my box and I can own that and I can control that. And so that's kind of, I think that's like the first step in, in self-love is, is realizing what you have control over, which is, Mm -hmm. you know, how you see yourself, how you take care of yourself, you know, um, and all that. Yeah. Is there any beyond surviving tool or just any practice that you um, use in your day to day that you come back to again and again that supports that cultivation of self-love? Yeah, I think for me, it's it's learning about the payoffs and the costs of doing uh-huh. things right. A lot of the time uh, I've, you know, as I'm working, you know, towards self-love and, and development, it's really been about okay, if I want to go to an acting class, for example, um, you know, the self, uh, if I want to go to an acting class, for example, um, what are the payoffs of that? What are the costs? You know, the, the payoffs are that, you know, I'll probably feel better. I'll probably, you know, get some sort of hobby and it'll, uh, it'll open up my creativity, um, Mm -hmm. and my, my mind and my heart. And so, um, you know, that's something I use to constantly make decisions. And it's usually, you know, for the best. Yeah, I love that. What role does compassion play in supporting us in breaking down walls? Sorry, can you repeat that? Yeah, what role does compassion play in supporting us in breaking down walls? Yeah, um, this is something that's hard when you have walls up, because right, you want to, in my case, I was you know, pushing people away or not even having people around me. And so, mm-hmm. um, you know, what I've learned is, you know, having compassion for yourself, but also others, um, you know, only helps you understand and only helps you really look at someone else and say, you know, hey, like, you know, we have more in common than I thought, or, you know. Oh, I love that, Chris. Just, yeah, just... Yeah opening yourself up to be compassionate about others Mm. is, is vulnerability. Mm. And so, you know, through that vulnerability, you can develop that self-love. Like I I've learned that, you know, it's okay to be vulnerable. Like I can talk to my friends and family about my mental health. Um, 
you know, and connect with them about their mental health and, and share oh, my yeah. compassion, you know, about their situation or what they're going through. Um, and I think that only allows me to be more of myself and, you know, love the person uh, I, I am because usually, you know, it's, it's a great result when, when mm. you're compassionate and, you know, when you can connect with others on that level. What you just made me think of was, oh, I'm probably going to name the characters or is it Zoldi? And I feel like the guy it starts with a T. It's a, a story from Shakespeare where the two lovers are stuck on either side of the wall. And there's this one, they come up to the wall every night and they talk, you know, and they try to connect, but there's this barrier Yep. And this idea that as we understand our own suffering, as we understand the suffering of others and have compassion and want to alleviate that suffering, then there's such benefit in doing the work to remove that wall. Because ultimately, what it really is, is that all of us want that connection. Yeah. All of us want to be known and seen and heard and understood. And so when we can access it through like, me connecting with you is actually a way of eliminating or um, yeah, eliminating suffering by way of my compassion for myself and for you. Yeah. yeah. And then let's think about empathy. So now we bring in this third little piece of the puzzle. Uh, first of all, what do you, what, how do you think of empathy? Like how does that differ from compassion? Let's start there. Yeah. I think for me, empathy is really about, you know, putting, yourself in someone else's shoes but also mm. you know going through the motions of you know actually trying to feel their emotions through walking through those motions mm -hmm. um, and it's not just you know maybe expressing something but actually thinking through you know what how would how would you handle it maybe you you know everyone says oh I would have handled something this way or that way but you know actually you probably wouldn't right so right. Um, you know, it's about thinking through the steps that, you know, they might take just, or anything like that, you know, mm -hmm. and, and I always put myself in other people's shoes and I'm like, holy crap, like that's, you know, <laughs> it could go so many yeah. different ways. Um, and so that just gives you an ultimately an understanding of, you know, where, where they're coming from, where they might be going. Mm -hmm. Um, and for me, it's about, it's an opportunity to just learn learn more um, about other people and mm -hmm. it comes back around like learning more about other people. I learn about myself constantly. Mm. Um, so I think that's, that's amazing. Like, yeah. What that sparks in me is this sense that a lot of times I know I held myself away and apart from other people because there was um, a presumption that connection was going to lead to pain uh, and that I, and rejection right? These were the main things that I was trying to really avoid through being isolated and disconnected. I love the idea that empathy causes us to step into the shoes of other people. And so then rather than seeing them as evil or antagonistic or violent, whatever it might be, um, dangerous even, if I can see you and see your perspective, then that humanizes that person and then they become more approachable. And then not my fear can diminish. Yeah. Is there anything you'd add to that or change there? No, I mean, in my own experience, you know, I've, I've used empathy to um, really connect with my father. A lot of the things mm -hmm. that, you know, I've realized that he has done or does, 
comes from a specific place, um, comes from a specific fear, or, you know, it's something deeper than what's on the surface. Yeah. And so, you know, figuring out what that is, um, you know, has been a huge instrument for me to be able to say, okay, you know, you might be doing this, or you might be doing that. But I kind of I kind of understand. And, you know, I have that compassion for mm-hmm. you, um, because of what you've been through, or because of, you know, what you're going through. Yeah. And, you know, could you speak a, a little bit more to that relationship, Chris, because, you know, I so many people listening, I know you all are dealing with relationships that feel really just irreconcilable and difficult and broken. And, you know, watching you navigate that journey with, you know, dad and coming to the place where you are now with it all. Um, will you speak to it just a little bit more, like what it was like and what it is today and, and maybe even any words of encouragement or advice for somebody who's in that kind of perplexing place of wanting to have relationship, but not quite sure how to get there. Yeah. Um, I think that's, that's the first thing is, you know, wanting to have it, you know, I completely understand and respect people who maybe don't want to have the relationship or aren't ready for certain things. Um, But I think that's the first thing is, you know, genuinely wanting to have that connection and wanting to have it without strings attached. Um, I think that's a big one, right? I think Mm -hmm. you have to like use the three things that we've just talked about, self-love, compassion, and empathy to really be okay to enter that setting and, you know, make sure that you are getting what you need from the relationship. Um, you know, for me with my dad, it's, it's definitely, it's been tough, you know? Um, but I think since the program and, and after the program, beyond surviving program, um, you know, it's really allowed me to, like I said, put, let him put things in his box, mm-hmm. me put things in my box. And it's really been about, you know, trying to understand him more and more, um, you know, through empathy, through compassion. I have a lot of compassion for him now. Um, so opening yourself up to, uh, to feeling that for that person. Um, and you kind of got to know some of their history and some of what they've been through. You yeah. know, my dad's been through a lot. Um, and, you know, I can't imagine, like, like I said earlier, I can't imagine, uh, you know, how he went through everything and he's still standing. Mm, um, and yeah. I can't imagine what it was like not getting the things that I wanted so desperately and, you know, not getting the things that he probably wanted to give, but didn't have and didn't receive himself, mm-hmm. you know? So um, just those kinds of things I've been able to really focus on whenever I'm with him or whenever, mm-hmm. you know, uh, we're around each other, you know, and that has opened up my heart to be more compassionate to others. Right. You know, um, cause that he was the, he was the big one that I had to get over. Right. Um, in terms of relationships. So, um, I think just being willing and, you know, uh, keeping compassion and empathy right in your back pocket, um, will, will hopefully serve you well. Well said. I'm so inspired to just see how you've continued to build on, you know, the work that we've done and to craft a life 
um, that is full of love and adventure. And I hope you're doing art uh, acting classes, like for real, <laughs> or something creative and yeah. playful and silly and all those like accessing those parts of yourself. And maybe that might be a nice place to, to go next as we start to wrap up. What are some of the things like, ooh, today I get to be and I am that I never thought I could or wasn't ever letting myself be before? Yeah, I think um, today I, I feel seen, heard, um, and those are some of the things I wasn't doing before. Um, I, feel, uh, I feel free. I feel, you know, happy. Um, but also I continue to be challenged and continue to do the work that, you know, we did back in 2017 and uh, working, on, working on the toolkit you know, mm -hmm. like working through that. But I think, like you said, you hit the uh, nail uh, on the head there when you said it's, it's about crafting your life. Um, you know, when I realized kind of like, okay, these walls aren't serving me anymore. You know, I, I was like, okay, I have the power to go out there and choose the life I want to live. So mm. what is that, right? And so yeah. that's where life intentions came in. Um, and so that's really what I've been, you know, focused on and, and doing. So it's been, it's been great. Yeah. So thank you. Oh, beautiful. It just warms my heart. And I'm just so super inspired of you, you know, by you and proud of you and excited for your future and how things continue to unfold. Chris, do you have any final words of encouragement for anybody who's listening, who, they know they need to take that next step. They know that being trapped behind those walls is no longer serving them. Um, they're ready to get out, but they just need a little nudge um, to take that next step. What would you like them to know? Yeah, it's scary. Um, it's, it's scary. It's, you know, you get anxious, you get nervous, um, and you might fall. You might fall again. You might fall again. But honestly, it's just about, how you keep going and you know keep going through you know your work your tools other resources um and you know you will build that life that you you really want um deep down inside so <laughs> oh my goodness the the time has just flown by. I honestly could talk to you for another two hours to get all the more of the updates and what else has been happening over these years. Chris, what an honor it is to have you here with me today. Thank you for stepping into this space, letting us see you. The one I see in you is just effervescent, powerful, seen, oh my gosh, communicative, loving, playful, and just so empowered and so embodied right now these days. It's just, it's beautiful to witness and to see. So, mwah, thank you so very much for being here. What a gift. Thank you so much, Rachel. Yeah. And thank you, everybody, for listening and joining us today. If you'd like to make a donation in support of the podcast, go to bit.ly slash donation. All contributions will be applied towards funding, scholarships, the running of donation-based and free programs, and making sure that those reaching out for support get what they need. 
And don't forget to visit rachelgrantcoaching.com to learn more about sexual abuse recovery coaching and to explore the other resources available there. And be sure to subscribe to the podcast and then come back next time because we have so much more to share. And until then, take good care of you. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.